Welcome to Barely Audible Whisper. You're yelling. So? So this is Barely Audible Whisper. You're supposed to be Barely Audible Whispering. This is no time for Barely Audible Whispering. This is exactly the time for Barely Audible Whispering, because we're doing a show called Barely Audible Whisper. But if we don't Barely Audible Whisper, then we can't call the show Barely Audible Whisper. The government is perpetuating a crisis that's going to destroy the economy and kill thousands of people. I am too pissed off to whisper. Then we'll call this episode Barely Audible Whisper presents Too Pissed to Whisper. Fine. Welcome to Too Pissed to Whisper, a weekly NPR parody podcast. Without the Barely Audible Whispering, we're not really parodying NPR. Screaming about a government conspiracy to perpetuate a crisis is more like an Alex Jones parody. Coronavirus is a hoax perpetrated by Bill Gates to create an artificial global demand for a vaccine laced with a secret chemical that creates a subconscious brand loyalty to Microsoft Office. This is not some bullshit Alex Jones conspiracy theory. The coronavirus was invented in a secret elementary school science lab to distract us from the fact that the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting was a false flag operation to distract us from the fact that the elementary schools are really secret laboratories for creating viruses to distract us from elementary school shootings. There has been no federal response to a pandemic that's killed more Americans than the Vietnam War. Meanwhile, the Republican Senate is floating plans to purposely bankrupt the states that the Trump administration left to fend for themselves, and a bunch of Republican governors are forcing their economies open before it's safe, based on the ruthless premise that it's worth killing thousands of people to save the economy, even though the basic laws of economics and common fucking sense dictate that reopening economies before it's safe will almost certainly crash the very economies they claim they want to save. And all I want to know is... Why are they doing this? Got it. Welcome to Barely Audible Whisper presents Too Pissed to Whisper! The Why Are They Doing This edition. Here to put the futile effort to decipher the motives behind terrible leaders making terrible decisions into a broader historical perspective is our own Harvard professor. So pretentious, he insists on being called Dr. Professor. Humanity has suffered the disastrous consequences of inept leadership since the dawn of time. Climate and landscape changing make all Neanderthal hunting methods obsolete. Neanderthal must adapt to changing realities of modern life. Me hate surprisingly articulate point. New things scary. Fire bad. Make Neanderthal great again. And while the ineptitude of the Irish potato famine, for example, may seem like a function of pure stupidity... The potato crop is failing, and for some reason we've planted nothing but potatoes. What are we going to do? Isn't it obvious? We live on a small island completely surrounded by a fishable ocean. So if the potato crop fails, then we have no choice. We're going to starve to death. The truth is often more nefarious. Attention, Irish subjects. This whole potato famine is quite a pity indeed. 
However, the ocean and all of the fish within are property of the king, which has the rather unfortunate consequence of making fishing a treasonable offence punishable by death. But we're starving to death. Tis a most unfortunate circumstance indeed. But if the king gave up his stolen claim to every resource in the empire, every time his subjects were starving to death, pretty soon there'd be no resources left to steal. It's a slippery slope. Which, not coincidentally, is why slipping on a slope is also punishable by death. In fact, one might argue that most of history's stupidest decisions are a tragic combination of short-sighted stupidity and ruthless greed. Ha <laughs> ha! Having just murdered the Emperor, I shall now take his place on the throne. <laughs> oh, I probably should have seen that coming. Oh. <laughs> Having just murdered the Emperor, I shall now take her place on the thr- ah. oh, oh, I really should have seen that coming. <laughs> Having just murdered the Emperor, I shall now take his place on the- <coughs> oh, oh, I probably should have seen that coming! <coughs> And while, as in the Trojan Wars, some historical blunders have been caused by pure stupidity... Aww. Our mortal enemies brought us a giant horse for no explicable reason. Let's move it inside our otherwise impenetrable walls. And some historical injustices, such as slavery, have been motivated by pure greed... Well, I do declare. I was thinking for a spell about our problem of wanting to make massive amounts of money, but not wanting to do any work. And I reckon we could kidnap a bunch of people from Africa and make them do all the work for us. And seeing as how they're here against their will, well, we wouldn't even have to pay them. <sighs> most of history is in fact driven by that most dangerous combination of greed, stupidity, and overconfidence best personified in modern history by George W. Bush. In response to an attack by 19 mostly Saudi Arabian-born terrorists headquartered in Afghanistan, I'm going to invade Iraq. Whether that takes the form of an incompetent leader using a dumb lie to gain the support of an uninformed public, uh, weapons of mass destruction, or a ruthlessly competent leader like the Pope taking advantage of a crisis such as the plague to manipulate a frightened and uninformed population into believing dumb lies to seize even more power. As your infallible and God-appointed pontiff, I hereby declare that the bubonic plague is God's punishment for your lack of obedience to my, I mean his, church. So, if you don't want to die from plague, you should give the church more money. Whip yourself in public to prove your fanatical loyalty to the church. Give the church even more money. Devote yourself to the church. And did I mention, give money to the church. Thus, tempting though it may be, one must avoid the fallacy of engaging in the oversimplified incompetence versus corruption debate and accept that history is most often shaped by dumb ideas 
enacted by simultaneously stupid and corrupt leaders for selfish, short-sighted reasons. Take, for example, Henry VIII establishing the Church of England. I want to divorce my wife, marry my mistress, promote my side chick to mistress, make the new chambermaid my new side chick, and hire a new chambermaid to serve as a backup side chick when my new side chick needs the day off. But the Catholic Church won't sanction my divorce. Therefore, the only reasonable course of action is to invent a new church that's almost indistinguishable from the Catholic Church, declare myself head of the new church, and murder everyone in England who refuses to convert to my brand new, but basically the exact same church. And when combing the annals of American history for examples of the willingness to not only accept the certainty of lost lives in the pursuit of profits, but to further the already dangerous endangerment by pursuing a path even more perilous than the present perilous path, one need look no further than the infamous Donner Party. Like most frontier folk, we were willing to risk death, and we were secure in the knowledge that several of our loved ones would die along the way. But if we made it, we'd be rewarded with a little bit of land. So, totally worth it, right? Anyway, we heard about this new, totally untested trail that was way more dangerous than the already dangerous orphan trail. But, assuming everything worked out perfectly, we might get to our little bit of land a couple of weeks earlier. Long story short, I'm stuck on a mountain, damn near frozen to death, surviving by cannibalizing my dead friends and family members. If that's not the perfect analogy for reopening the economy too soon, then my husband isn't the most delicious piece of human flesh I've ever eaten. See, incompetent and corrupt leaders have been screwing people throughout all of history. So now can you stop yelling? No! This is completely insane. I mean, what is the psychology of these fucking people? Here to explain the psychology of these fucking people is world-renowned German psychiatrist, specializing in the psychology of these fucking people, Dr. Eva von Gergen von Lurgen von Schnitzel. Guten Tag, I am world-renowned psychiatrist, Dr. Eva von Gergen von Jürgen von Schnitzel, here to discuss the psychology of power. They say that power is an aphrodisiac, which may be true. I am Genghis Khan, and I have conquered half the world just to stay erect. But power can more accurately be described as an addiction, not unlike drug use. I'm Cleopatra, and being worshipped like a goddess is totally trippy. Therefore, the world's most powerful people have essentially been junkies. Please, Caesar, give me some of that dank Roman Empire. I'll do all the things you like. When considering that our lives are essentially being controlled by chunkies, suddenly everything makes sense. As always, our Trump impersonator is a woman, because we hear he hates that. I just need, like, a trillion dollar tax cut to fix my rich friends, so they'll keep hooking me up with power, and a 100 billion dollar border wall to get off on the power of indiscriminate cruelty. And then I'll totally get around to the life-saving test you need. 
I promise. Well, President Trump represents the most extreme example of a power chunky strong out on self-aggrandizement. No administration has ever done more than my administration. Trump's particular brand of recklessness. I created the greatest economy in the history of human commerce. But then it had to close because China which is very unfair to me. And I need to brag about the stock market before the election. So why doesn't everybody just shoot some bleach into their veins so we could reopen already? Would not be possible if he were not being enabled by even more tantrous and nefarious power chunkies like Senate Majority Leader and evil tortoise, Mitch McConnell. (laughs) I need more power than most politicians are playing in a lifetime just to feel normal. (laughs) Uh, But screwing poor people while causing unnecessary death still gives me a rush. (laughs) Whereas Brian Kemp, the idiotic governor of the state of Georgia, is more like a stupid alcoholic frat boy. Ooh, all right, I just did an epic reopening to Sim Keg Stan Bro. Uh, and once my reckless abuse of power kills enough people, I'm totally gonna drop trow and butt chug their dead souls so I can feel the effects faster. Now that we realize that our pandemic response is being abused by chunkies motivated by nothing but their next fix. I don't care if it causes the relief checks to take weeks longer to get to the people who need them. I want my signature on the checks. Let us examine the political and economic tools they are using to chase the dragon. Here to help me do that is Robert Reich, the respected economist and former labor secretary, whose brilliance is often underestimated because he has the voice of a cheap monk and the stature of mayor of Munchkinland. In order to understand the motivations of the Republican leadership who are callously sacrificing lives to recklessly plunge us into a likely economic depression, we must first start by examining the economic policies of President Ronald Reagan her you may remember as that guy that Republicans used to worship before they started worshiping Trump. Well, if you give rich people more money, eventually that money will trickle down to the poor. Obviously, this is stupid, but Reagan was able to convince people it wasn't stupid because it made crude sound noble. I want all of the money. Which is actually quite noble of me, because if I have all the money, then poor people eventually get more of the money than if poor people had some of the money that I have. Trickle-down economics was also an easy sell because it was the height of the Cold War, and given American fears about communism, the opposite was appealing. The opposite of the evil empire is the shining city on a hill. I'm going to buy that shiny city. You're welcome, poor people. However, while the theory behind trickle-down economics may be the opposite of the theory of communism, 
The reality of trickle-down economics is exactly the same as the reality of communism in that no matter how appealing the theory sounds, the reality simply doesn't work. But I want all of the money. But despite its demonstrable failure, the few wealthy people who benefited from the opulent wealth, trickle-down economic policies lavish on the already uber-rich, spent billions of dollars convincing the gullible poor and shrinking middle class that it was working. Just hang in there, poor bros. Pretty soon we'll all be feeling the trickle. <laughs> uh, we've created a lot of jobs, <laughs> uh, but we can't raise any of the wages at any of those jobs because then the trickle might become a stream and and streams a socialist. <laughs> mine, mine, mine. Even before the economic shutdown caused by coronavirus, the current income disparity coupled with an artificially high stock market bubble had put the American economy in dangerous peril that shares many parallels with the rose-colored economic prosperity of the Roaring Twenties that led to the Great Depression. Oh, I'm rich, see? The market's a real peach, see? I got me a one-way ticket to Moneyville, see? And there's nothing that's gonna stop- Oh, shit. I'm a-starvin', see? Had to boil my shoelaces for dinner, see? However, the economic crisis caused by coronavirus has exposed the cruel fallacy of a top-down economic system in which the majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, barely able to tread water. The only way to prevent an economic collapse is for the federal government to assist working people and small businesses with a competently managed, long-term, full-of-government response that redistributes capital and resources to the hundreds of millions of hardworking Americans that keep our economy going. And unfortunately, admitting that basic economic reality would cause the proponents of the trickle-down economic system to publicly admit its failure, and worse still, they would have to demonstrate the feasibility of a more equitable system, which they have maintained for 40 years is impossible. Therefore, rather than admit their mistakes and risk losing access to their favorite drug, the Republican-powered chunkies chose instead to burn the whole thing down, then blame the Democrats. Get that these dipshits are desperately ruthless power addicts. Great, now can you stop yelling? But don't they stand to lose more power by crashing the economy and killing a bunch of people than they do by saving the economy and lives? Still yelling. Doesn't it make more sense, even as a purely political calculation, to be able to take credit for saving lives and preventing an economic collapse than to be responsible for killing people and causing an economic depression? The faster I set up the next segment, the faster I can stop the yelling. Unfortunately, the next segment is about the ruthless greed of the rich and powerful, which means it will be narrated by the ghost of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous host, Robin Leach. Hello, I'm Robin Leach. I died a year and a half ago and nobody noticed. Which means more yelling. My 1980s television hit Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous 
glamorized with greed and excess of the me generation, all while promising viewers the eventual trickling down of champagne wishes and caviar dreams. That's gonna be us one day, kids. Now eat your spam. I gave you a behind-the-scenes look at their opulent lives. The pure diamond chandelier atop our 30-foot ceiling really ties the room together. A whole village's worth of African children died collecting the diamonds, and seven of our servants have fallen to their deaths trying to clean it. But one day, a fraction of my wealth will trickle down to them, too. You're welcome, poor people. Now I'm giving you a behind-the-scenes look at what they're willing to do to hold on to their chandeliers. The virus will disappear just like a miracle. President Trump has blown the coronavirus response in a manner even more disgusting than a prospective Playboy bunny blowing you Hefner. Uh, oh, oh well, thousands of people will die. Uh, I don't, I don't like to come out of my evil tortoise shell unless there's an emergency. <laughs> Not only have more Americans died in three months than died in the entire Vietnam War. The coronavirus can't kill me because I have bone spurs. But the economy has suffered the worst losses since the Great Depression, forcing Congress to stave off long-term economic collapse by unleashing the power of the federal government and distributing hundreds of billions of dollars to save small businesses and working people. Thank God. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to afford my monthly allotment of spam. However, the economic necessity of bailing out the middle class, the poor, and small businesses, all of whom, as it turns out, really are the backbone of the American economy, coupled with the government's sudden ability to all of a sudden come up with trillions of dollars after decades of convincing people that things like healthcare, higher education, and paid sick leave are unaffordable, has shattered the illusion of every Republican talking point since Ronald Reagan thus exposing the economic reality that not only are the current wealth inequities unjust, they're also bad for the overall economy. You mean all the money I've spent on spam over the years is actually more vital to the overall health of the economy than the diamond chandelier? <laughs> Uh-oh. And so the Republican perseverance to preserve their perverse brand of corrupt crony capitalism kicked into a gear even higher than President Trump on speed during a press briefing. The governors should open up their states. I strongly support governors reopening their states. All right then, Mr. President, uh, as the governor of Georgia, I'm gonna open up my state ahead of my own deadline for shutting down the state. I strongly oppose governors opening up their states. Well, what now? Realizing that the president was more spineless than the jellyfish that lives inside his neck fat, Mitch McConnell began making economy-destroying threats of his own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the federal government should let state governments go bankrupt. 
even though we're making the states shoulder the burden of their own coronavirus response because some of the stuff they spend money on is liberal. Yep. But McConnell, the master of three-dimensional evil chess, aided by Trump, the master of cheating at putt-putt, I'm going to deny coronavirus relief money to sanctuary cities. Yay, I helped. Had a more nefarious scheme in mind. <laughs> mm, I'll tell you what. I'll agree to not bankrupt the states if you agree to legislation that makes it almost impossible for people to sue corporations or anything corporations do to harm them during this crisis. <laughs> and with the legal system completely rigged in their favor. Uh, now, now that businesses are allowed to open up in my state, insurance companies don't have to pay claims for business interruption insurance because technically, they could reopen if they wanted to. More governors got in on the action, like Kim Reynolds, the Iowa governor, and real-life version of Meryl Streep's character in Death Becomes Her. Any employee who doesn't go back to work just because they're afraid of a petty little thing like catching a highly infectious disease that could cause a painful and completely isolated death will be considered, quote, voluntarily unemployed and therefore receive uh, no benefits. And then President Trump cheated at putt-putt so ingeniously that it's actually hard to imagine he realizes the actual extent of what he actually did. I hereby declare that all of the meatpacking plants, which have been a major source of major coronavirus outbreaks, must remain open, even though none of them were closed, which means that none of the employers can be held liable for any of the inevitable deaths that happen as a result of their employees being forced to work in extremely dangerous conditions. Because even though the CDC came up with a bunch of guidelines to prevent the spread of the virus, none of those guidelines are mandatory. Given that President Trump's executive order has consequences three whole steps beyond the order itself, it is highly unlikely that President Trump thought of it all by himself. Here's a million-dollar campaign donation and an executive order I wrote that you can sign at any time, Mr. President. Yay, money! Hey, how'd you like to be my new ambassador to Ukraine? Mm, no, thank you. But regardless of who deserves the credit... I take all the credit and none of the responsibility. The stage is set for an economic collapse that disproportionately damages small businesses and the working class, leaving the wealthy and powerful free to swing in on the proverbial chandelier and freely buy out whoever they want on the free market that they are free to manipulate by manipulating the concept of freedom. Not being able to go to a nail salon during a pandemic is a violation of freedom. Coercing companies to reopen before the time of their own choosing and forcing employees to risk their lives to save their livelihoods is a victory for freedom.
Unfucking believable. Now you're yelling. I'm too pissed to whisper. It still seems like they have more to lose politically by killing thousands of people and crashing the economy than by simply admitting that in an unprecedented emergency, government aid that for once puts the needs of the middle class and poor ahead of the wealthy is a viable solution. I just don't see how they think they're going to possibly get away with it. I can answer that. Misinformation correspondent, Miss Information here. And the information you're missing is misinformation. You're watching Fox News. I'm Judge Jeanine Pirro, and the Chinese China virus is Chinese, which means it's China's problem, which means the rest of us can go back to work. I'm Paula White, President Trump's spiritual advisor, and God told me that it's completely safe to go back to work as long as you send me your first paycheck. Tonight on Hannity, we uncover Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's secret socialist plot to infect meat plants with coronavirus to force Americans to become vegetarians. Serving as President Trump's vice president has been the greatest honor ever bestowed on any unworthy mere mortal soul. President Trump is a liar. The coronavirus is a hoax. Who lies so often? I never said coronavirus is a hoax. Who would say that? That he needs an entire army of other liars to constantly lie on his behalf to keep up with his lies. I never called the coronavirus hoax a hoax, and President Trump never called the coronavirus hoax a hoax. Saying that we called the hoax a hoax is just another democratic hoax, folks. The president already cured coronavirus with hydroxychloroquine, but Chinatown Nancy Pelosi, who caused the coronavirus to come to America when she danced naked in the streets of Chinatown, faked hundreds of anti-hydroxychloroquine studies. So now the best thing to do is drink bleach. Without President Trump's leadership, the concept of joy would disappear from the earth. If you go against Trump, you go against God. Liberals hate God, by the way. I shall drink this bleach in the name of Jesus. Not only does drinking bleach cure coronavirus, it gets you drunk when you run out of wine. But the unique thing about Trump's lies, and the lies of his lying army of liars, is that the lies don't even have to match up anymore. When I said ingest disinfectant, I was being sarcastic. The possibility of some sort of ingestible disinfectant was discussed by our team. And Jesus turned the bleach into wine. Tonight, we look at definitive proof that the entire Trump press conference was really just a destroy Trump media deepfake. Whereas most misinformation campaigns usually try and coordinate consistent lies, Trump's misinformation campaign it's just a hodgepodge of mismatched nonsense. Coronavirus was created by Bob Mueller as revenge for the failed Russia witch hunt. I'm not gay. Kim Jong-un died of coronavirus, which proves President Trump was right not to try and stop it. Hello, 
Counterintuitively, this does not seem to be making any of the lies seem less credible to any Trump loyalists who want to believe them. Quite the contrary, in fact, as the multitude of contradictory lies actually allow each individual Trump supporter to pick and choose which particular lies they find most appealing. I like the one about where it's naked Nancy Pelosi's fault. I like the one where bleach gets you drunk. I like the one where I'm not gay. It should therefore come as no surprise that Republican leadership thinks they can get away with killing thousands of people while destroying the economy. Nobody could have possibly predicted that reopening the economy would be bad for the economy, which, by the way, it wouldn't have been if the destroyed Trump media hadn't overhyped the virus. President Trump knew exactly what he was doing when he exposed the hidden liberal agenda that caused the economy to fail. God is punishing America for letting Trump slip in the polls. Not being able to afford to eat is a small price to pay for the privilege of living under President Trump's divine penis. I mean, leadership. But even more dangerous than all of this bullshit, generally poisoning the well of public discourse, is the fact that our president seems to have reached a point where he can no longer distinguish the truth from his own bullshit. You could put the sunshine underneath your skin. And then if you could put some disinfectant in your lungs, which you could do very easily, because the sunshine on your skin will shine on your lungs. Let the sunshine, let the sunshine in, let the bleach in, let the bleach inside. Get the purpose behind misinformation in general, and the self-serving bits make total sense, but I'm hung up on the bleach thing. How, how does that help him in any way? I'm with you. It's the stupidest thing. And it feels like every time we think he's doing a stupid thing just because he's stupid, it turns out that he's got a hidden benefit to it. Right, like peddling hydroxychloroquine made sense because he profits off of that. M maybe if we dig, we'll find a way that he profits from people... Drinking bleach, there's no way, right? Let's send a reporter to find out. Max Decorum here at the White House, and my assignment is to figure out why in the fucking world President Trump would- No. No, I can't, I, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I've built a reputation on professional cool-headedness, and if I do this story, I will fucking snap. We asked around to see if any of our reporters would be willing to take this story, and the answer was a resounding... Fuck oh, no. no! Glad we're not the only ones to piss to whisper. So we outsourced the story to the world's most gullible investigative reporter, Born Yesterday. Hello, I'm Born Yesterday, and when I saw President Trump's press conference where he suggested using disinfectant internally to do a, quote, cleaning, I thought, hey, that makes sense. They should look into that. But most people seem to agree it's a bad idea. So I did what I always do when something makes sense to me, but everybody else seems to know it's a bad idea. 
I asked my mom. For heaven's sakes, born. We can't drink bleach. Right, the Mr. Yuck stickers. When the Lord was handing out common sense, he just skipped right past you, didn't he? But why can't you drink bleach? It, it kills viruses, right? Honey, the body is different from a toilet bowl in many ways, but one of those ways is that when you drink something, your body breaks it down and converts it into other things. You know mommy likes her vodka, right? Oh, yes. Okay, well, alcohol kills germs and viruses and bacteria too. But when mommy drinks vodka, she still gets sick, doesn't she? That makes perfect sense. Thanks, Mom. So, now that I'm convinced drinking bleach is a bad idea, the question is, why would President Trump suggest it? I asked my uncle, who was one of Trump's biggest fans. He was just being sarcastic. Of course, I know that sarcasm is when an adult says something that hurts a kid's feelings as a way of saying sorry. My mom told me that. So, Trump is saying he's sorry. But where did this idea of cleaning the body of coronavirus with disinfectant even come from? Well, an article in The Guardian pointed me toward the Genesis 2 church, which promotes drinking an industrial bleach concoction daily. I went to Florida and spoke to Carrie Rivera, a prominent member of the church. Thank you for meeting with me. This is a great time for our movement. Thanks to President Trump, people are starting to wake up. Sure. Mrs. Rivera, I was hoping that you could help with a few things that aren't making sense to me. Genesis 2 is a church? Yes, a church of health and healing. What are your church's religious beliefs? We're a non-religious church. Legally speaking, a church is merely a gathering of like-minded people. Wait, so I could establish my group of friends who really like playing solitaire together as a church? Maybe. Interesting. So, you market MMS, which stands for Miracle Mineral Solution, and it's basically bleach? That's correct. But bleach is toxic to drink. How are you not all dead? Very, very small doses. I'm the most gullible investigative reporter in the world, but that doesn't make sense to me. Many things that are toxic in large doses are beneficial in small doses. Oh, like fluoride in our drinking water. Well, a lot of our members feel that fluoride in drinking water is part of a government mind control program. Oh, then like vaccines? We're anti-vaccine. Oh, then like cocaine? I suppose. Okay, so since joining Genesis 2, have you ever gotten sick? Only when I miss a dose. How often do you miss a dose? Well, sometimes life gets in the way, so probably every few weeks. And every time I get sick, sometime in the past month, I've missed a dose. Even I see the flaw in your logic there. All right, so from what I've read, the FDA issued a restraining order telling your church 
to stop branding MMS as a possible cure for COVID-19. It's religious persecution. You said you're in a non-religious church. Still, though. So after that restraining order, a bunch of your members, including yourself, wrote letters to President Trump to protect your right to sell MMS. And immediately after receiving these letters, he publicly suggests the idea of injecting the body with bleach. And the world is finally hearing the truth. Listen, Kelly, I've been talked into joining over 20 cults in my life, but this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The world is finally hearing the truth about how truly idiotic and gullible some people are, and that's coming from me. So I'm going to go. Bleach be with you. And also with you. So, why did Trump suggest consuming bleach? Because some cult asked him to. That still doesn't add up. What does he gain from this? I haven't answered the question yet, not really. So I asked my uncle to shed some light. Now here's what most people don't get about Trump's brilliance. When he talks out of both sides of his mouth, it's to keep two different groups of supporters happy. The FDA, which is part of his administration, shuts down the church that's selling bleach. These are Trump supporters who aren't happy and they will write him letters. So without straight up telling people to go drink bleach, he suggests it's a viable solution to investigate. Boom, his supporters are happy again. Sure, but everybody who hears him say that and goes and drinks some bleach, those are all his supporters too. And New York saw a big uptick in poison control calls about drinking chemicals. Well, sure, but Genesis 2 is based on Florida, right? Yeah. Well, Trump won Florida by a damn small margin. Biden's pulling ahead of him down there. So what's more important to his reelection? Keeping a few thousand Florida whack jobs happy or a few hundred New Yorkers not dying from drinking bleach? Well, fuck! That's why I'm voting for Justin Amash. <laughs> so the President of the United States is taking science advice from the first Clorox Church of Mr. Clean? What do we even do with that information? Historically, when governments become as corrupt and incompetent as this, the masses often rise up in protest and or rebellion. Yes, Dr. Professor, we will rise up. Unfortunately, it is physically impossible for the masses to rise up while also maintaining responsible social distancing. If we can't rise up, then what can we do? Fortunately, this is an election year. Therefore, the masses will be granted the opportunity to... Rise up at the ballot box. Elect Joe Biden. Electing Joe Biden seems less like rising up and more like accepting that mediocrity is superior to abject failure yeah one of the most common mistakes made by the people when the government has been thoroughly destroyed by stupidity and corruption uh, such as the happening in uh, america rights now is the tendency to whip themselves into the kind of blind fury that started as a justified rebellion against the Tsar, but led to Stalin. 
That's right, Dr. Von Gergen von Jürgen von Schnitzel. Fortunately, Joe Biden lacks the iron will and cool mustache to become Stalin. I'm too boring to become Stalin. I'm Joe Biden, and I need a better message. Given the damage that Trump has wrought on this country, it might actually be psychologically preferable for America to return to a period of normalcy, uh, thus reinforcing the status quo. You can't get more status quo than Uncle Joe. Thus ensuring that the enormous structural chances that America must undertake are not undertaken too hastily. When one heinous leader destroys an entire society, the temptation for barbaric retribution is strong. But you can't cut my head off with a guillotine because I have bone spurs. But the transformation of the French Revolution into the Reign of Terror teaches us to resist the urge to hastily impose reactionary reforms based solely on anger. I oppose the guillotine. It will be incumbent upon the next president to find solutions to the myriad of problems President Trump has created. I can do whatever I want because a president is like a king that owns private golf courses. Before we can adequately tackle these fundamental problems that allowed Trump to break everything in the first place. This acceptance of Joe Biden as the solution is what we psychiatrists refer to as uh, zettling. If you loved Obama, you're going to think I'm pretty okay. Okay, but the election is six months away. COVID-19 already killed more than 60,000 Americans in three months, and the Republican plan to kill even more people and destroy the economy are already in full swing. What happens between now and the election? We're fucked. So fucked, in fact, that the clinical psychological term for how fucked we are is, is actually fucked. So what do we do? A society being fucked by their government is not unlike a society being fucked by COVID-19. We must continually strive to find a cure, but in the absence of a cure, we must mitigate the damage as best we can. Yeah. We can apply the lessons we have learned from fighting the virus to fighting the Trump. I learned that social distancing is not only an effective preventative measure against coronavirus, but six feet of personal space is also an effective way to prevent sexually harassing women. Think of Trump as the virus. His Republican enablers are like asymptomatic carriers who seem deceptively less dangerous but may actually spread more long-term damage. Resistance to their dangerous policies and efforts to help those most harmed by these policies is like uh, social distancing. The election is an effective treatment. The campaign is like a clinical trial. And long-term structural chances to our political and economic systems is the vaccine. So you're saying that... Don't think about it very much. Uh, the analogy falls apart under scrutiny. So the analogy to your analogy is hydroxychloroquine. Admittedly, it's not an ideal solution, but much like social distancing and Joe Biden, it's the best thing that's available. In the meantime, 
Be good to one another and stay safe. If we unite in our current state of being fucked against the efforts to further fuck us, we might emerge from our current fuckedness significantly less fucked than the degree of fucked to which they are trying to further fuck us. Thank you for listening to Barely Audible Whisper, too pissed to whisper, made possible by the following people. Writer, co-host, and producer Dave Baldwin, co-host and actress Molly Brown, writer and actor Daniel Carter-Brown, actors Corey Burns, Michael Morgan, and Ali Glonick. Please uh, check out our website, barelyaudiblewhisper.com. Subscribe to us, follow us on social media, tell all your friends we're awesome. We appreciate your support.